Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jeff Macalino podcast. This is a special Thursday episode of the podcast, uh, mainly because I'm just recording so many episodes that if I keep uh, putting them out once a week, it's going to be like a six month delay on episodes. So, so here we are. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It is with the lovely Deborah Driggs. Uh, she uh, got her start as a Playboy centerfold. I guess that's not fair. <laughs> she started before she was in Playboy, but uh, that was probably her first big break. But then she made many others for herself. And that's the main takeaway I got from this is just uh, her, her expression is... Um, uh, she doesn't take no for an answer. No is a maybe. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about her time. Uh, when she was modeling for Playboy, she then went into acting. Then she became a, a very successful uh, insurance professional. Uh, she does a lot of cool stuff even now. Uh, she has a weekly blog. Uh you know, check out her website, check her out on social medias. Um, you know, this was a, a, a fun discussion and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Do me a favor. Uh, you know, when you uh, consider listening to this episode, uh, well, you're already listening to this episode, so I hate to break it to you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, consider... Um, you know, if you do enjoy this podcast, there's a, a link in the show notes down below. It says buy Jeff a drink once a month. Uh, you know, you can actually make a, uh, a, a donation to the podcast. Uh, and uh, perks will be coming uh, for people who donate. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, and I appreciate all of you who listen. I will say uh, this episode is coming out in March, but, uh, you know, I recently, just very recently, uh, passed the uh, uh, one-year anniversary of this podcast. I also started doing a podcast for FL Teams I've mentioned a few times, Bolts and Bats in the Bay, which is a Lightning and Rays podcast for them. Uh, you know, one year into both, and both are top 10% globally podcasts. Um, you know, very grateful. It's, uh, you know, for someone who's an average Joe, not, you know, three rich celebrities who decide they're going to make a few extra million dollars to do a podcast with their friends. Uh, you know, <laughs> for me, it actually means something to be able to, uh, not make a lot of money, but, you know, still, uh, get people to actually tune in. It means a lot to me and Hey, support your, uh, indie podcasts, I'm trying to figure out a way to do a little bit more in that regard. Uh, part of that is that I've been guesting on a lot of podcasts and, uh, I don't think, Maybe I bring a large audience, but 
I will try to keep you informed of that. I've been on a couple episodes of podcast on YouTube called Friends of Zeus. Uh, I just was on the Ponderall podcast with Luis Garcia. And uh, Adam Carolla retweeted me for uh, making a comment about my uh, appearance on that podcast. So that was a weird, interesting moment when I saw uh, him uh, pop up on my uh, Twitter notifications. Anyways, enjoy this episode with uh, myself and Deborah Driggs. See you on the flip side. Hi, listeners of this fine podcast. My name is Joe Nolfo, and I have a show on YouTube that you should really check out. The Joe Nolfo Show, link to the channel is in the show notes, is a comedy sketch show that takes absurd comedy to a whole new level. It is written and directed by the fine mind of Joe Nolfo, and it stars notable great comedic actors such as myself and the not-quite-yet-a-motley-crew players which includes the host of this very podcast you're listening to, Jeff Macalino. Subscribe to the YouTube channel now so you don't miss out on season three of this comedy journey. Thanks for hitting that subscribe button. I'm Joe Nofo, and believe you me, I'm gone. Right, everyone, I am now very pleased to welcome Deborah Driggs to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you, Deborah? Hey, everyone, I'm doing really fantastic. How are you? I am, uh, I'm delightful. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Yeah, having, having a good day. <laughs> well, that's always a plus. Yeah, well, it's better than the alternative, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And the good news is you can turn that around at any moment. Yes, that's that's one thing I actually try to always uh, profess, you know, because I use this podcast as a preaching tool sometimes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just, just be nice to people. Just, you know, well, on it's, negativity. In, it's interesting because. Because now, you know, we have such resources to this great wellness holistic community of podcasts and books and books on tape and Audible. And you can actually watch things on Zoom or be a part of a virtual event. So there's really no excuse to have a bad day because you can turn anything on at any moment <laughs> to cheer yourself up. <laughs> That's a good point. That's something I, I hadn't even thought of that. It's just, you can always change your mood by changing your programming, literally. Exactly. <laughs> literally. Like, okay, this isn't working out. Let me stop what I'm doing and go listen to something upbeat and change my perspective. And you, it can happen that quick, really. Yeah, no, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing. That's, it's one of the, <laughs> I notice this difference sometimes with friends, even with podcasts we listen to. It's even, I love Joe Rogan. And I oh, don't know, when this podcast comes out, I don't know what's going to be going on with Joe Rogan. So <laughs> we'll see how this ages, but. I I'll don't think, think, I hope nothing goes on. I, oh, I, I he, pray nothing goes, I mean, God. He, to me, he's being attacked because he's, destroying the mainstream media in in ratings and they don't like that so they're really going after him to try to get the uh 
audience back because nobody says, what did you see on CNN or Fox News or this, that, the other? They say, did you hear Rogan? My response is always like, no, nah, I only listen to the episodes with comedians because the other ones depress me. Not because it's misinformation, because it depresses me because it's like, yeah. oh, it sheds light on so many things that I already kind of figured if <clears throat> I don't want to know. <laughs> well, we live in a culture now where it's it's if we don't like what you say, we cancel you. And and that just shouldn't be the case. You know, we're not going to like what everybody says. We're not going to like all the people that get elected. We're not going to like, you know, who delivers our mail. You know, I and mean, we're just it's like and the fact that anybody can be fired or canceled or or, or shut down. It's it's like I it's it's shocking to me that this is the world we live in. I, I you know it's like people should be able to say. I think I, I I truly believe it's because our our social media and our platforms are so way ahead of ourselves that emotionally we just haven't caught up to to how quickly technology and everything is available to us. Like I said before, anything is available. You can listen to whatever you want and. You know, we just haven't caught up as a culture to what that means, you know, and so now it's just become, well, if we don't like it, cancel it. Nobody should be able to listen to it if I don't like it. Yeah. And by the way, and if nobody should be able to listen to it, and by the way, I'm going to take my stuff down and just and, and mess up my fan base because I don't like what somebody else is doing. It's like. It's almost like if you're going to do this and I'm going to hurt me, you know, it's like I when I was I just think to myself, all these artists that take their stuff down, I'm thinking you're not hurting anybody but yourself and your fans, because now your fans are going, who cares if I like Joe Rogan? Right, right. Maybe I like <laughs> both of you. Yeah. Now yeah. Yeah. Now you're now you're <laughs> making me choose. OK. All right. Yeah, that, yeah. I don't think that goes well in that kind of situation with. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. So I, nobody wants to be forced into any. It's like a divorce, you know, pick a side. No, I right. don't want to pick a side. You know, it's like I want to just. By the way, I I enjoy listening to different perspectives. You know, I yeah. am one of those people that I watch all news outlets Um during COVID, I turned news off completely just because I felt like it was really destroying my own creativity. But, but when I do watch, you know, when I catch up on certain things, I watch it all. I watch CNN. I watch Fox News. I watch MSNBC. I watch because it's not about the station or the news. It's about who's telling the news. And there's some great people on all, all formats, you know. So it's not really about, it, it, about that for me. And I, I, watch, I watch local news, you know, for my own city. And, you know, I just, I just find it so ridiculous that it's like, well, if you watch this, you're this. No, that's not true. You know, I watch all of it. I, I like to tell people, as far as my friend, my, some of my closest friends, I have one who leans left. And I love to just argue from the different perspective. I have one who leans yeah. far right and I love to argue him from a different perspective. Totally. I don't even believe the perspective I'm arguing. I just like to see their counterpoints. Like, I just want to understand what, how you're thinking. And that will help me understand if I should think that way or not. 
not. But yeah. I just need to dive into your philosophy. So no, it's kind of it's kind of weird that it's like just avoid people who don't think like you. Well, that, that seems like it's bringing that would be that would <laughs> that is so counter coward counterproductive because really the people that I learn the most from are the people that I don't really agree with, you know, yes. because I'm, because I get more curious with those, those people and the way they think I, I, I wonder all the time, you know, like why, why are people lining up so fast to do certain things? And I'm thinking maybe there's something I'm missing. I need to learn more. Maybe I need to educate myself a little bit more on that subject rather than be just so quick to my way or the highway thinking. But, and you know, the, the, whole, the whole game is really, you know, how I feel about life in general is that nobody knows and we really don't know where this is all headed. And, you know, the only thing that we can do is stay on this kind of wellness holistic path and, and really stay in our own lane you know, I, I, I feel like this last couple of years, people have really just felt the real need to be out of their own lane, like, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, just stay in your own lane and worry about what you're doing. And don't worry about what other people are doing. Because really, at the end of the day, it's none of our freaking business. Right. No, that's it's just not. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And I love we dove into this conversation. I, I, <laughs> on a tangent sorry <laughs> yeah you know it's not normally how we start out usually i say hey thank you so much for having me i feel so grateful today but no it's true like i just i really do i feel really grateful for these platforms i really feel that there's so much available and how lucky are we that we do live in a time in a place in a period in history where everything and anything is available and this is a great time to, to really educate and get caught up on what's happening in the world because things are moving very rapidly. I know that. So I know it really inspires me for what I do because really I like to be in the more holistic space. And so I get inspired, you know, whenever I get triggered by something now, I can just write a blog about it and it's beautiful. You know, I could just write a blog about it from and coming from a from a different perspective and a, and a beautiful place, a heart space and not a angry space or a reactive space where in the past, you know, that would be my MO to be really reactive and, and angry and resentful, but it doesn't serve any purpose today. All right. I, I love that. And uh, so I'll, 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 I'll start rewinding to, you know, back to the beginnings of you, you've, uh, you fascinate me because a lot, pretty much everything you choose to do seems like you succeed in it. And I feel like there's a, maybe it's a gift, maybe it's a personality trait, probably a combination of both, where it's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be great at it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fail. Um, and this goes back to, I know you started just modeling and then you went to playboy this was uh what 30 30 years ago thereabouts a long 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 time ago yeah 
But uh, even, you know, now I, I'm, I just turned 35. So I, when I started getting to that curiosity, we already kind of had the internet, you know, where Playboy wasn't necessary <laughs> all the time uh, in the, in the late nineties. Um, yeah. But I feel like Playboy was the, and I know you did not set out to model for Playboy. It, nope. they reached out to you and, you, I think, uh, maybe you can talk me through this, but I think you kind of didn't want it at first as far as the whole thing, but then you learned more and you decided to be okay with it. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know too much about Playboy. I started out my career in 1983, mostly doing commercials. I was very fortunate that, you know, I, I, I got an agent, which is half the battle was just to even have anybody that believes in you and so I got an agent and I got a modeling agency which was even harder because I'm only five six and I say that because obviously models the the, the real cutoff is about five seven five seven five eight and I was five six and so I got very fortunate that I got agents and and you know, and I, I, you know, going back to something you said earlier, I, I you know, <laughs> there were so many failures that everything always looks like, oh, well, she succeeded at that or she succeeded at that. But there were so many failures in between. And I just remember, you know, just even thinking about how I got an agent. I mean, that was so hard to do. And then so I had been working in this industry. And when I got the call to go and meet with Playboy, it was for something else. It was for a book called The Lingerie Book. And this was in 1989 and they were just coming out with this, this new book. And so I asked my agent, I go, oh, well, is there any nudity involved? And not because I wasn't opposed to doing nudity because I was doing a lot of swimswear, sw swimsuit and bikini work and, and, and stuff. And so, I wasn't opposed to any of that, but I just wanted to know. And she said, I don't think so. This is for the cover. So I had driven by the famous Playboy building thousands of times on Sunset. And now here I am going there for an audition. It was, it was surreal. And so when I got there, they asked me to take everything off and put on a robe. And, and I, I, I innocently said, no, I'm not here for that. I'm here to come in to audition for this new book that you're coming out with. And they said, well, everything that we do involves nudity. We need to see your body. So, you know, so I left my undergarments on as if I was at a bikini audition. And they were like, okay, whatever. Like they, it was like, I, I could see like the whole thing was just not going well. So when I left, I thought, well, not going to get that. And I got home and I had a message on my answering machine from the editor in chief of Playboy. And she's like, we want to test you to be a centerfold. And I literally thought they had me mixed up with somebody else. I said, I, I think you're mixing me up with somebody else because I just didn't see myself that way at all. And 
I was really young and the people in my life at that time, I trusted their opinion. I knew it would have repercussions because I was doing a lot of catalog work and going out on a lot of wholesome commercials. And I knew that that would probably come to an end because back then it was a big deal. But it was also 1989 and Playboy was the number one magazine in the world. Right. So it was like a catch 22. It was like, do I give up this wholesome kind of gig over here? You know, like I have so much that I'm capable of over here or do I go for this sexy, hot, centerfold Playboy photo shoot, which is gonna really narrow down my my stuff back then it wouldn't affect me today today's a whole different world but back then it did it was a huge deal and so i always bring the story up about julie mccullough because i think she was a playmate in 87 or 88 and then she got the show growing pains where she played kurt cameron's girlfriend and the minute she they found out she did playboy they canceled her off the show so that was that was the culture we lived in back then. So I knew that there would be some repercussions, um, but it also, you know, it was it was it was a hard decision back then for me, and I chose to do it because of the the doors that it opened. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to meet, you know, and listen. You do you use whatever you you can when you're in that business if whether right. it's nepotism you know your uncle's a producer or or you're using yourself and what you're doing and so for me I didn't have anybody in the entertainment business it was just me and so I thought I'm going to do it and it opened a lot of doors and that's the good news it opened a lot of doors I had a blast getting to know Hef I got a I, you know I got to meet a lot of interesting people and I didn't really get too heavily involved in the Playboy world because I was in a very strict two-year acting class that kind of took me out of the world, really, to be honest. And, and so I was studying quite a bit to be more taken seriously as an actress. So, you know, I had a lot going on. Uh, I was Playboy's first VJ for the Playboy's Hot Rocks so that was a fun gig for me because I was able to do that while I was studying acting. And, you know, what can I tell you? I was March, 1990 and Donald Trump was on the cover of my issue, which now makes it a collector's item. Yes. I and, <laughs> and which is really cool. And sorry, I'm leaning in there, coming in for a big old smooch there, um, you know, and so, and then I was fortunate that I was on the cover of April 90. And then I did a, a handful of covers for uh, a lot of the European Playboy uh, issues. And I ended up being on the cover of the actual audition that I went in for, which was the lingerie book. But I was on the cover, I think, in 1994 for that. So, you know, I did a, I did a lot of stuff throughout the years and and, you know, I have, you know, had a great experience. I, I, I don't have anything that was negative or bad that happened to me. I don't have any, I don't have any real juicy stories. I'm a little disappointed about this 
A&E documentary that came out just recently where the playmate, uh, she was, I don't even think she was a playmate, she was Hep's girlfriend, was talking about all this underground playboy stuff. And I'd been around the mansion quite a bit, you know, during my time. And I never witnessed or saw anything so ridiculous. I mean, it was, it, I think that, you know, I think that in any situation in life, when you get into any relationship, and I don't care if it's Hugh Hefner, I don't care if it's Donald Trump, I, I think that Melania knew what she was getting into when she decided to marry a billionaire. I think it's the same thing if you decide you're going to date Hugh Hefner, you know what you're getting into, you sign up for it. Right. So to come out years later and, and talk about how what a horrible experience it was, is like, okay, then why'd you sign up for it? I, I, I remember when I was married previously, well, the only time I was married, she liked to watch the, the show where Hugh Hefner had three blonde girlfriends. And right, like, the girls next door. And they, yeah, and it's like, all right. I mean, he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. I don't, I, I think I even remember one of them saying, I never even had sex with him. It was just, he just liked to have, you know, it was just a thing for him, uh, you know. And, and, and so what if he did? That's you're what... right. If you're his girlfriend, I mean, isn't that part? Yeah. If you are signing up to go live at the mansion, to live the lifestyle of, of a play, the ultimate playboy in the history of playboys, dictionary of playboys, you're signing up to be one of his girlfriends. You know what you're getting into. Right, right. And I, I do think, unfortunately, since he passed away, I think Playboy has had some odd decisions and paths. I know they, at one point, they, yeah. I believe, I, again, I'm, I'm not a subscriber, but I believe at one point they stopped doing nudity completely. And then at another point, they said, we're going to start doing men naked men in playboy i don't oh, know God. If that i don't remember that but that would have been fun for the us women very recent <laughs> i believe well because there was a there was always play girl i thought i don't know if that this was is not vodka. this is not vodka by the way this is water oh you can drink vodka that's okay <laughs> but it looks like a bottle of vodka i just it does look that. like you're like, drinking like, out of like, excuse me <laughs> excuse me for this conversation i need a little little pick me up hey it's it's okay i i'm told i'm much more uh pleasant to talk to when you're inebriated so well i'm told i'm not i'm told deb you should never drink ever like yeah i'm the opposite it was funny i was out the other night and i was with a girlfriend and somebody wanted to buy us a shot of tequila and i said yeah no if i have a shot of tequila i'll be on the bar dancing top off you know and he's like, well, we'll have a round of tequila. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm telling you, I know what's not happening. Like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't advertising asking. Yeah. For <laughs> it's just not, not going to work for me. Works for some people. I just think, you know, it's like you get to a certain age, it's just not a pretty look anymore when you're like falling down drunk at a certain age. It's like, nah, not yeah, good. I, I think I'm getting close to that age. I don't know yeah it happens pretty quick too trust me <laughs> my, my sister got, my sister got married 
on Saturday. This podcast will be weeks later, but my sister got married and I was just, I, I just turned 35 and some people thought I was dating a 20 year old uh, bridesmaid and other people, or at least one person thought I was married to a 50 year old woman. And I'm like, Oh, I'm really in that awful middle ground. I should stop drinking or things can get out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> I can go be. far either way. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's one of those things. So yeah, I have a thing where when I'm, especially when I'm working, because it just doesn't, I can't. You know, for some people, though, you know, it's interesting because I, I have such a great eclectic mix of friends and some of my friends are very creative and they can work and they can smoke pot and drink and, and they get more creative. I, I fall asleep and pass out. So it doesn't work for me. <laughs> it's that's an interesting thing, because I, I try <laughs> I try to do writing and uh, usually I do it sober. But then I've actually made specific days when I've had writer's block where it's like, I'm going to actually get day drunk and then schedule an appointment after, you know, after I've been drinking for five hours Yeah. and I have to sit down and I have to write and it actually breaks through. I, sometimes yeah. it's awful, but <laughs> it's like, well, hey, at least I got something written instead of yeah. sitting here. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Get a little drunk and it's like all right i got an idea might be go. terrible but <laughs> yeah it's something it, it takes what it takes so yeah so and speaking of writing so i write a weekly blog and yeah. bas basically i write a weekly blog just there 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 are excerpts really out of my book and what i do you know it depends i get i get i'm really I'll get an idea and I'm like, oh, that's what I'm going to write about. Or if something's going on that I don't agree with or, you know, something that's bothering me, I'll write a blog about it. It's so brilliant because I can write about it from a heart space and not an angry space and just hopefully present some different type of perspective. But I enjoy writing. I'm not a great writer and I would never, you know, you know, it's, 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 for me, it's a hobby. It's fun. I like to do it. It brings so much clarity into my life. And I also have really gotten into reading this last, these last couple of years. And I think just because when I was really involved in business, I was always reading business stuff and looking at a lot of forms and paperwork for business that that would burn me out. But now I enjoy looking and I actually like love listening to books on tape. And so I think writing is a really great way to, to heal things as well. So anyway, so that's what I do. I write a weekly blog and it, it's on my website. I, um, I also have a book that I'm publishing this year called Son of a Basque. It's a historical fiction that my grandfather wrote. He's no longer with us, but thank goodness that my mother is. So she's been very helpful with the whole process because it's, it's a big process to publish a book like that, especially when the author's no longer here. 
but it's a really, really interesting story. I read it a few times and I decided that no matter what, it was going to get published. And, and that might be the, the, the attitude that I think comes across from me is that when I do make up my mind about something, it's like, no matter what, this is going to get done. And with that project, I, I was very adamant about it. And then I was very adamant about the fact that I was going to publish it and, and do all the work behind it. So I formed a publishing company so that I could self-publish the book. And so that's been a project that I've been working on. And I'm really excited because we're so close to having an actual book in our hand. And that'll happen in the next few months. And so and what's, um, what's that about? It's a historical fiction. My grandfather is from the Basque country in Spain. So that's why it's called Son of a Basque. He came to America and worked on a beet farm and his father died when he was, I believe, eight years old. And um, what's interesting about it is that when he joined the Air Corps, back then they were called, I think it was the Air, Army Air Corps, which is now the Air Force. Um, if you weren't a US citizen or you didn't speak English, you kind of were put in categories during the war where you weren't really a, you weren't really fighting but you were like I don't know cooking or cleaning or you know and so he really wanted to fight in the war and he became one of the last surviving tail gunners at his death I think he was one of the last surviving tail gunners he survived a lot of missions during World War II the one mission that he missed out on he was in the infirmary with pneumonia and his whole crew died Got, got shot down, Wow! The, the one that he missed. So there's all this really interesting, cool stuff. He also was in the Korean War and he was, he went over to Vietnam. And in between these war stories are, are some really cool stories about how he was a prison guard at San Quentin that will just blow you away. So when I'm reading this book, a lot of the stuff I did not know, you know, my, you know, it's, I don't think it's something that somebody really wants to sit around a dinner table and discuss war stories. And he had, he saw a lot of death and a lot of war stories. And he saw a lot of stuff that is in the book. And I'm so glad that he wrote it because it is, it helps me understand my history and my family when people leave memoirs, it kind of gives you a little, a little insight. It's like a secret. It's like something you didn't know about somebody. And then you can kind of understand maybe why they were the way they were. And I, and I really loved my grandfather. He was a very, very interesting person. And he met my grandmothers from London and she's a redhead. So they look like Lucy and Ricardo, you know, <laughs> that's, they really did. They look like I love Lucy. And then my mother was born in London. So there's a whole story about that. So that is exciting. And I also think that we want to make it into a screenplay. So yeah, so there's a lot of really cool stuff happening there. And I also, um, you know, have been working on my book, which is a slow process because I really wanted to get this other book out first. So that's that's what's been going on. I worked on a movie last year. I went kind of back to my roots of, of acting and did a did a part in a movie that 
it just got um, invited to a film festival in March. So I'll get to go and kind of be a part of that. That just dipping that, the toes back in the act. Yeah, yeah. Just and, and when it when we're when I say dipping, it's really dipping. I'm not I'm not really pursuing per se that career, but I'm totally open to parts here and there, which which is good for me. I like I like those creative juices. You did have a, I mean, your IMDb page. Looking at it, you did have a quite a bit of roles in the, you know, late '80s, early '90s. I mean, I don't know how long you had to be at certain places, but as far as parts per year, it seemed pretty high. So, I mean, yeah, I had a good run, you know, be you know, before I started having children. And I think the last show I did was 1998. I did a, a comedy show called Nightstand. And, and I, I remember, cause there was a lot of dialogue on that show. And I had, I was the main character on the, as a guest on the show. And so I had a lot of dialogue and I had three young children at home mm. and it took a lot out of me. And I just remember thinking, I don't know if I can do this anymore because it's a lot of work and and I don't think people really realize you know like even for small stuff it's a lot of work I just did this movie last year and even for that you know just showing up on the set and and just the emotional preparation that that goes into it even if it's one line it's 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 time consuming and so with three kids I made the choice to become a full-time mom. I didn't stop working completely. I still did commercials and I still did modeling jobs here and there. And then when we decided to move our kids out of LA to Park City, I did the Mountain Morning Show, which was a two hour unscripted morning show there. And that was one of my favorite things that I ever did. It was, and there was no money, no pay, but it was so fun. I loved it. And I had to get up at like five, you know, four 30 every morning to, to go and tape this show, this two hour unscripted show. And I enjoyed that so much. I thought that was such a great gig. And there was, like I said, there was no money involved in that, but I just enjoyed it, you know? So that also says a lot about kind of my career, because a lot of the things that I've really enjoyed throughout my life, had nothing to do with money or making money. I right. just love being a part of the process. Yeah, and and there was a another arc we haven't talked about yet that, I mean, you became highly successful in insurance. Yep, uh, yes. Yeah, so I had to reinvent myself. You know, I got divorced uh, when I was 40 years old. And I had three young children, I had no money. You know, there was no big settlement or alimony or, you know, there was, it was very minimal. And so I had to go back to work, going back to work, you know, like all I knew was waitressing and acting and modeling. And, and so I didn't really ever have a, a, a job, a full-time job. And so I, I did a, a lot of like odds and ends, you know, I worked at the spa and then I, would organize people's closets and, you know, I just come up with stuff to do. 
And then um, in 2006, I believe it was, I got my real estate license. And that was a big deal for me because I had never taken a test since high school. And I had never really thought of myself as being in the real estate business, but I ended up working for somebody who was the best in the business at that time in Park City. And I was his assistant. And he really taught me the business. He taught me everything. And when we met to, uh, the thing I think that I, I, I was smart about is that I knew I didn't want to start a business and I didn't have the funds to start a business. So I thought, well, I'll just work. I'll be somebody's assistant who's really good at what they do. So I interviewed with like the top three realtors. And I and when I met with Rich, he and I met, he said, well, what are you good at? I said, well, I'm really good with people. And he said, okay, we're going to be a really good team. Because at that time, he had 37 listings, something crazy like that. And he was burned out on dealing with the clients. And through working with him, I found out that I was really good with working with people and working with clients and finding ways to add value and, and finding ways to think out of the box. And how do we, how do we get more clients and how do we get more buyers? And, and so, cause we were known as a listing agent, how do we get more buyers? And so he really, and he was so good at marketing. So I learned a lot from him. And then I also brought to the table, you know, my, my skills, my, um, what do you call it? Your, your, um, personality. No, your, um, <laughs> you know, the thing that you, whatever your, your, charisma. Uh, <laughs> your, you know, yeah. Charisma personality, but you, you, you know, you bring your thing and my thing was really networking and, and being around people. So when the market crashed in 2008, back to the drawing board. What do I do now? I'm in a second home market, luxury, two to $3 million market that was the first to go. Nobody was buying a second home at this point. So I got into the print procurement for a very short period of time. And while I was in that business, I reconnected with the people that had done my life insurance. And I had been referring them business. So I said, you know, can I get a referral fee, you know, from now on? And they basically both said to me, go get your, they were partners at the time. They both said, go get your license. So I did. And by 2012, I had become the number one agent for one of the carriers. And that was just from me hustling and calling everybody I know and, and really like begging for business. And I, I, I literally would say, just meet me for coffee. You don't have to buy life insurance, just meet me for coffee. And so I, what was beautiful about that is that I got to reconnect with a lot of people that I had kind of lost touch with. And they got to see a different side of me because at this point now I had worked for two, two you know, the big company in New York and the company in Park City, now I'm back in LA. And so they got to see a kind of a different side of me that was not the model actress, but the, the business person. And so that's, I think that's, that, that I attribute really my success to a lot of things, hustling number one, and who you know, the networking, using your phone and your contacts to your advantage. And, and I'm very persistent. 
So, you know, I follow up with emails and I follow up with phone calls and I follow up with let's have another cup of coffee and, and, and I don't take no for the final answer. You know, I, I, I look at no as a maybe. <laughs> and so, you know, I, 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 and I also just happened to work for probably two of the best insurance brokers in the United States that were doing mega deals. I was not captive to one carrier, so I was licensed with everybody. And that, that also changes the game too for you because if, if you're in a business and you're selling one product, you're captive to that product. And I wasn't captive. I, I was able to sell what was best for the client. So I work for the client and not the carrier. And that, that's a big difference right there. And then also, you know, we, we had a lot of luxury things that came with, with the company that I worked with where we could add really a lot of value. So that I attribute all those things to the success that I had in that business. I, so one thing, and I'm just, while, while you're talking, the thing that I, I keep thinking is anytime you faced failure, they, Almost exactly what you said. Well, no is a maybe. Yes. Failure doesn't mean that I'm done. It means maybe just keep pushing and, and let's see what happens. And that's, again, I, I feel like you've done it so many times in your life. Uh, probably probably more so than I, I know. I, I did a little research on you, obviously, so I know a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah. But, but it's... Uh, that's that's the admiral admirable oof, easy for me to say trait that i keep seeing is it's like and and i i wrote down here failure meaning like failure is not an end failure is a a maybe almost like you said no is well, not no I it's a, it's a maybe. yeah i coined i coined the phrase no means maybe and then also for me failure is growth so if there hmm. is failure and there's going to be failure that there's just no, <laughs> there's no getting around it. I mean, I can tell you stories just from my entertainment background that where I booked a great part in a great show. And I thought, this is it. I finally got the part that I've been waiting for. And two weeks later, the show got canceled. There is going to be failure. And it's sometimes it's in our control and sometimes it's out of our control. I think the thing that saved my life is that I grew up figure skating and I had some of the best coaches in at that time in that sport. And failure was not an option. You know, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a lesson. It was a learning lesson. It was growth. If I fell on my face and I would, I, there were days that I would run off the ice crying and my coach would come in the bathroom screaming at me that that was just not okay. That this was a lesson that I needed to learn and she didn't care if I was out on the ice but I needed to be on the ice whether I was crying or not. And you know, those are the things that you just sometimes don't get in, in life in general. You know, they don't teach it in school you know, they teach it in sports for sure. And, uh, you know, most athletes will tell you that that's where they got most of their life lessons was 
being flat on the ground and somebody telling them to get back up. Right. So I, I, I say this a lot, and there's a whole chapter in my book about it, that ice skating really did save my life. It, it, it made me look at things so much differently and where I thought I wasn't good or I wasn't good enough or, or I wasn't ever going to be good enough to compete or, or whatever those self-sabotaging thoughts are, ice skating kind of gave me the lessons of, nah, it's just today tomorrow is a whole different day. And, and I think that's, that's it, you know, and it, it, maybe that's where this comes from for me, you know, because I surely didn't get it at home. You know, if I did, it was very subtle to me. It wasn't, it doesn't stand, it doesn't stand out. I had two very young parents and, and they weren't really, they were both busy in their own world working, trying to survive. And, and so I understand that now, but it's somewhere, you know, you, you look back on your life and you go, God, that's where, that's where I think I got that lesson from, you know? Yeah, no, that's, it's admirable. And it's, again, I sometimes, I wonder if it's a taught lesson. I wonder if, I think sometimes it can be. I wonder if sometimes it's just ingrained in certain people where it's just like a, a grit kind of thing like yeah i'll get back up and keep going (laughs) doesn't matter well and there's there's a reason why i think too that you know you have such a huge industry of self-help and wellness and holistic and people looking and searching for peace and self-love and all this stuff because we're not taught that you know we're not taught this happy life system growing up we're taught to go to school, line up, be like everybody else, get good grades, stand on the podium, do this, do that. And we're never really praised for things that really, really matter, I think. And so, right. so when you have all these adults now searching for self-love and searching for something different and new tools of how to handle this epidemic of teens on drugs and we're looking for all these new ideas and ways of handling things because the old ways just aren't working anymore for me education is such a thing of the past it's like for me it's a glamorized babysitting system there's rules now that that i mean they're teaching stuff that is so outdated i mean kids are getting more on their devices today than ever before so we have yeah. an out we have an outdated education system. We have an outdated parenting system. We haven't, you know, really, we just need to like, there's a reason why there are so many books out there right now to help with things that we didn't get, especially my generation. We just didn't get. And but it's available now, which is beautiful. Yeah, it, that's that's the beauty of it, although there and this kind of ties back to what we started with. There's a lot of people who just want to stop things that go against the, their way of thinking. So I, I, I find this, I've got a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old or almost 12-year-old. She calls herself 12. She's been calling herself 12 for the past six months because 11 and a half is immature, according yeah. to her. So, well, in the, in, in the insurance business, she is 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. So there you go. You can tell her I said so. 
I'll, I'll give her your blood. <laughs> but but it, it's it's always uh you know look at the report card it's like why are you failing this and it's like uh and it's you know i don't want to do that and it's like well you got to do it it's your job and i'm like oh that's such a bad message i hate myself as a parent like obviously you can't get a d in math in middle school or that can affect unfortunately that can affect where you go to high school and that can affect what happens to your whole future and it's like but she just doesn't like the way her math Betsy, <laughs> that's what i'm saying like that mindset it can affect what happens to your whole future i failed math i don't even think i took algebra and Good look at you. i was in a <laughs> and i was in a business where it didn't affect my whole future and i survived and i real like i i i have my one of my kids did not do well in math at all in school and so i hired a a tutor for her to help her get through math get through high school because i knew she had to get through it to graduate right but i could care less if she ever uses it i don't care oh right she's no a, it means nothing she's it's an art she's an artist like she's never going to use any of that outdated math right well that that's one thing yeah. my, my daughter now she she actually is not bad at math she just hates it yeah, well, so did I. I get she's, it. She's sitting here and she's like, uh, how am I supposed to figure out what percentage seven eighths is? I'm like, I don't know. What did the school like? I know it in my head, but I don't I don't I I'm good at math. You didn't. Get, and then she actually produced it in her head. And I'm like, all right, well, you got to show your work. She's like, but I just thought of it. And I'm like, well, if you don't show your work, your teacher's going to give you a zero. So and assume you used a calculator, by the way. Every human being has a calculator on them 100% of the time. Why That's what I'm saying. Do... It's, it's, oh. it's, it's very, it's very outdated and we're headed into a whole, it's, we're, yeah, it's, it's we're headed into a whole, <laughs> we're headed into a whole new educational system and, and the, the days of putting your kids in school, be, really it was so parents could go to work. Right. And so there's got to be a new way of, of, you know, well, I have a lot of friends now that, that during COVID, but they, you know, they were fortunate that they were able to do this, that they just decided, why would I spend all this money on Zoom at a, at a, at a 40 to $70,000 a year school when I can homeschool my child for way less. And so I have a lot of friends that are now homeschooling their kids and doing things with them where they travel and they do other things to give them culture and, and life skills that you're not going to get in school today. You're just not. No, I agree. I think that's, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I do think it's nowadays with the, uh, well, you and I can relate to this, to the divorced society that that lives in this country it becomes a lot yeah. harder but i do think married couples should probably figure out a way to maybe just work on one income and use the other parent whoever's like making less male or female teach the kids it's harder yeah. when when it's two households and two parents yeah. um, but um yeah no i i agree with you completely i yeah. i 
We're also, I think, going back to more of a community environment where it's like, you know, you whatever you bring to the table as a community is what you teach the community. And that's such a beautiful way of doing things as well. I mean, that was that was the way things were done in the in the I think we're kind of re, you know, everything always comes back around, but I think we're kind of going back to that kind of feeling of like you know, back in the early days, if you knew how to sew, you taught the community how to sew. Right. How to, you know, it was like the quilt club, or if you were a good reader, you taught people how to read, or, you know, it, you know, the back, that's kind of how teachings were taught, you know, you, whoever was the good chef would teach the community how to cook. So I think we're kind of headed back into, I mean, that's very oversimplifying it, but we're headed back into more of a, a system where we, it's more helpful as a community to help people instead of it being so competitive of like, if you don't know how to do math, you fail instead of, yeah. well, why don't we have a math club where if you're good at math, you teach everybody else what it is, you know, and why you're so good at it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and some of these things, you don't know how to figure out decimals. Well, we got to form. How many of yeah. us have to figure out decimals? And I'm uh, good at math. Yeah. You no. don't need to ever do that. <laughs> well, if I do, I hire somebody. Would you just hit the calculator? <laughs> One of the exactly. other depending. Exactly. Or I hire somebody, like I said, you know, there's, Right. So, you know, we, we can hire people to do whatever it is we're not good at. And so, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my passion now. So I, I write about stuff like this and follow people with similar ideas on social media that kind of follow along the lines of putting out this wellness, you know, thinking and holistic thinking and more happy systems, you know, should be available to people than struggling systems. You know, a, there's a lot of that going on. So yeah, so that's what I do. I, I think people can find me on, on my website, which is debradriggs.com. It's very easy. I have a weekly newsletter and I'm getting ready to put out a couple of free gifts and um, I'm getting ready to put together a 90 day program where if people want to go on a journey with me of just healing energy is, you know, is basically, I haven't come up with the name quite yet, but basically that's the gist of it. It's just healing energy for 90 days. And I'd love to take people on that journey of what that looks like, you know, just to, especially with, with everything that's gone on these last two years, I think that it's really relevant right now. And then social media, you can find me at my name, Deborah Driggs, on every platform. I post my weekly blog every Monday. And, you know, I try to post things that can help anybody out there that might be suffering. That's, that's my goal. It's fantastic. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. It, it's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for allowing me time today to share to share with you and to share with the community and and hopefully people will come on my journey come with me i would love to have you yes absolutely and listeners you can find all the links in the show notes so don't ask Yay. me for them later they're right below where you're listening show notes all right 
Deborah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and allowing me this time. God bless. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was it. That was the episode. Thank you for joining me. Do me a favor. Give me a follow if you are on Twitter at St. J. Mac, Instagram, uh, the Facebook page, Jeff Macalino Podcast. You know, it's the title of the podcast. Should be able to figure that one out. Uh, give me a rating on Apple, Spotify, IMDb. If you don't know how to do that, go to YouTube and Google Jeff Macalino. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and watch a video I put out a few weeks ago about how to rate the podcast on Apple and uh, IMDb. That's about it. I appreciate all of you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for Deborah for joining me. And, uh, you know, again, check out her uh, website and her social media links all in the show notes. Uh, had a fun uh, time chatting with her. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a lot of uh, fun episodes forthcoming. So keep tuning in. I'll be back on Monday uh, as you listen to this with a uh, with a very interesting episode with a paranormal investigator. Uh, and then uh, we're talking aliens on the 14th. So, you know, keep uh, keep listening uh, every week. And, uh, you know, we got something for everyone. And if you ever have any feedback, uh, you know, you want more certain types of guests or other types of guests, or you just like the, uh, the different kinds of guests, which I enjoy talking to different kinds of people, uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, but you know, just hit me up on uh, email, the website, you can contact me, jeffmacalino.com. Uh, social medias. If I don't respond to you, it's a mistake. I probably quickly checked it while I was drunk and then forgot to respond and then forgot that I even saw it in the first place that, you know, that happens. It's life. So if you don't hear back from me, uh, you know, you can probably assume it was a drunken mistake on my part and give me another chance. So, all right. Thank you for listening. See y'all in a few days for another fun, exciting episode of the Jeff McAlino podcast.